welcome to Twill, the Week in Health Law, the podcast of record for the discussion of health or on policy. This episode was recorded on August 9th, 2018. I'm Nicholas Terry, a law professor at Indiana University McKinney School of Law in Indianapolis. Now, some of you may have noticed that Twill has been on something of a hiatus this summer. I'm afraid other projects have intruded. However, going forward, I will try and put out new episodes as newsworthy issues arise and as time allows. This episode, recorded at the 2018 SEALS conference, I was lucky enough to participate in some great sessions, compare notes with some of my favorite health law professors. Frankly, I forget whose idea it was, but four of us came together as a panel to discuss healthcare in the era of the Trump administration. I was joined by Nicole Huberfeld, Professor of Health Law, Ethics and Human Rights, Health Law, Policy and Management at Boston University School of Public Health, Zach Bach, Assistant Professor of Law and Wilkinson Jr., Research Professor at the University of Tennessee, and Jennifer Barr, Professor of Law in the College of Law at the University of Cincinnati, with a joint appointment in the Department of Internal Medicine at the College of Medicine there. She's currently a visiting scholar at the O'Neill Institute for Local and Global Health Law at Georgetown University Law Center. Now, this was a panel, not a typical studio recording, uh, so uh, to get the most out of it, you may wish to download our slides, the linked at twill.com. In the fourth and final part of our panel, Jennifer Bard switches our attention to public health consideration. She begins by looking at some of the great stresses that currently and negatively impact our health, the economy, terrorism, and gun violence. Here's the thing. It is very unusual for us to imagine in the United States that our health curve is going down instead of up, that lifespan is going down instead of up. We don't think that way. However, it is true. So if you believe, and I don't know, believe or not, that laws can be passed that make health worse, that is exactly what's happening. So I'm going to talk about two major ways that changes to federal law and policy. And by policy, that is the president and Trump part is negatively affecting health. One is by not addressing serious problems that existed before uh, President Trump came into office, just the problems we had when he started. And the second is affirmatively actions being taken right now that are making health worse. So two things, not fixing what was wrong, making things worse. And uh, these are the major categories of, of ways that things are, are being made worse. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is that these are three of the largest sources of stress to people in the United States in, in for stress-related. And, you know, you could look at these as three things that were wrong before. We've had these problems for a while and do not seem to be getting better. So they fall under that category. Getting the obvious out of the way, if you cut access to health care, as Nick has described, as Nicole has described, and we haven't uh, cut Medicare yet, but I'm sure we will, um, getting the obvious out of the way, if you provide less health care to people, health will be worse. Less access, advice, less preventive care, it is going to make health worse. So I, that is sort of getting the obvious out out of the way. All of that is bad. And that's the power of defunding. And we see this across the whole spectrum. Everything that the government might pay for in terms of health, they're spending less on. So, very odd little pockets. Trade tariffs. They're one of the things you hear about tariffs, one of the things they want to do is increase the cost of medical equipment. That's gone back and forth with politics on a daily basis. But um, as, as uh, tariffs on foreign-made goods go up, drugs get made overseas, medical devices get made overseas, a lot of the, a lot of the things that are part of healthcare 
are made overseas. And if they cost more and less is provided to pay for health care, it's going to put even more strain on the system. But I want to focus on environmental toxins. It is sort of past imagination what is going on in terms of rolling back environmental protections that existed, rolling back protections on greenhouse gas, on asbestos contamination, on car emissions, on air pollutants, on water pollutants. I mean, this is this is really taking on quite a bit of steam and energy and opposing an antibiotic ban. So, you know, food, food to have, uh, allowed to have higher levels of antibiotics. So we've got air, water, food, and then we have this really remarkable thing that is sort of going on right now, which is the EPA has a new, new, new principle that it's only going to base its decisions based on science, which we're all good. That's all good. But the only, the only science is going to be transparent science. And transparent science is when all the information and data about the subjects are made public. So no research study is valid unless you know who the subjects were. So Harvard, all of Harvard, the president of Harvard, Harvard Medical School, uh, all the hospitals um, have just written a letter to EPA to explain how dangerous that is because it is, you know, impossible. So essentially it is really saying that anything we would consider to be a research-based scientific finding about environmental toxins is suspect because there is no way under current law or even the current laws of the universe as we know to <laughs> dial back and find the people who were counted in these uh, studies. The implications of that are so remarkable that it's hard to even wrap your head around how could you, you know, it is good to make decision based on science. No one is against that. But as we all know, you know, you knew I would bring this back to human subject research since this is what, what I'm interested in, what I do. Um, it, is, it is impossible to divulge the names of the people who were the subject of everything we know about toxins in the air and water. We, we cannot do that. It, first of all, their privacy interests and, and uh, it, you know, we made promises to those people when they agreed to be in research studies. So, you know, and many of them are, are dead. These studies are quite old. And it really is, it's unimaginable that there could be a mechanism to, to undo the promises that were made to them by the government at the time. So how much, bad air costs. So without even going any further about what might be coming in future decisions not based on science, what we know, and this is, this is based on the Congre congressional analysis analysis of the of the legislation currently proposed is that there might be as many as 800,000 additional deaths a year that's the numbers um, based on air pollution uh, per decade so 800,000 more people would die every 10 years just for what we know about right now for changes so I thought I would think about what 800,000 was so that's Cowboy Stadium 80,000 um, additional deaths per decade so in 10 years you'd have 800,000 
2,000. Um, also, uh, I looked at some cities. That's about Austin. Um, it's a lot of people, and that's only a small segment. And if you're wondering how could we be so sure, of all things that we know in public health, there are plenty of countries with terrible air. And so we measure them very carefully. So if we, if we get to specific levels, it is very easy to say how many additional deaths there will be, because that's something that, um, that's measured. So we will be in the India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, you know, um, world of air pollution. It's unusual. That has not happened, uh, that this would go in the other way, that the air pollution standards. So. Moving on, fake news and fake law, guns. Uh, that's under the list of problems that were there. I think it seems very unlikely that there is going to be less gun violence. Um, changing the language of science. This got a lot of press last year, that there is said, well, the CDC has words that they're not allowed to use. And the head of the CDC came back and said, oh, that's ridiculous. No one's telling us that we can't use these words in the budget. Uh, entitlement, evidence-based, diversity, uh, transgender, vulnerable, fetus, science-based. But the thing is, once you start putting this in putting this out, you shouldn't be using these words, it will have a chilling effect. So the simple fact that the head of the CDC quite correctly said, you know, that's, I didn't get a list that said we could never use those words. I just kind of got a memo <laughs> that suggested that our budget would go better if we use less of this. That, that is going to have a chilling effect. And this happened a year before the um, announcement from the EPA about what they were going to consider evidence. There is apparently a lot of distress about existing evidence of health that could be used to argue against increasing toxins in the air and water. It's considered to be a, 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 a very unfortunate, sort of a stuffy or very unfortunate or obstructionist environmental tactic to keep coming up with these studies that say bad things would happen if we increase the pollutants in the air and the water. So climate change, that is not going to get better. I put that in the category of problems that were before. They certainly weren't they haven't been created recently. But if you would be expecting any kind of initiatives or efforts to counter the effects of climate change, that is not going to happen. And one slides I didn't put in is um, the, the deaths that are increasing from heat-related sources. But, you know, floods, hurricanes, rising temperatures, wildfires, um, cold, drought, all of these things are going to increase deaths. And uh, something just came out from Puerto Rico. They say, well, it turned out 60 people didn't die in the hurricane. It was 1,400 people. So to, even to the extent that, you know, Mother Nature is uh, ramping up, um, it, really nothing is being done uh, to mitigate uh, the climate change issues. Justice Department. Well, you know, we have a situation where the Department of Justice is not only going after, uh, you know, not supporting the Affordable Care Act, their most recent um, idea that uh, Title VII does not reach discrimination based on sexual orientation, it's, it's simply an unraveling of what was before and what we would expect going forward when it's not, it's not so much saying, well, we won't support what happened before. It's really aggressively going forward with, um, with new, uh, 
uh, new initiatives. So I think, Nicole, which of you mentioned, Nick, you mentioned the religious liberty issues. And there's going to be a little bit of um, overlap um, with the presidential executive order promoting free speech and religious liberty. That has been described as a license to discriminate. But what we're interested in in healthcare is it has really taken hold in HHS. And they have, um, they have now formed a division for religious liberty. And the question would be, not so much should people be able not to provide care as a po- if, it, if it doesn't coincide with their religious beliefs, but where is the alternative? So if you're not going to provide this care at your clinic or, or, or in your setting, where is the person going to go? And, you know, it's coming at the same time where we're having decreased access to care, um, rural hospitals closing. So if there is something that occurs that someone says, well, I don't feel comfortable doing that in my hospital, there is no next hospital over. And we're going to see that um, increasingly with obstetrics and gynecology because those are the, uh, those, that's one of the fields that is simply retreating into the cities and really leaving the rural areas behind. So I think that the side effect of allowing these decisions, of allowing people to make liberty-based, religious liberty-based decisions in acute healthcare settings, which is a little different from saying, I don't want you in my patient practice group, um, is, is going to uh, is going to cause some harm. Banning abortion is going to endanger uh, women's health. We have pretty good numbers of how many women die when they cannot get safe abortions. Uh, it's just it's sort of a medical fact. This is it's infection, it's uh, it's hemorrhage, and we could be seeing these kinds of numbers in the United States um, if there is a reduced access. First of all, to contraception, but second of all, to abortion. Um, again, we can look overseas for that data. GLBTQ discrimination, rollback of coverage, rollback of information. The health effects of discrimination um, are are well known. Um, if, if if there are people who do not feel welcome or comfortable getting any kind of health care, whether it's uh, going for mental health care or any preventive care, vaccine clinic, um, there is going to be increased morbidity and mortality. So, um, as I say, we can cla- track the effects of discrimination. Next, the last thing I want to talk about is a little more abstract, but I think just as serious, which is rolling back of collecting data. If you don't collect data on populations' health uh, experiences, and by experiences is what kind of issues are they having, who are they, what kind of care are they seeking, if you don't have the data, you can't provide the services. So rolling back on the um, collection of data is a way of rolling back on care, and we're seeing it sort of across the board. We're seeing um, restrictions on same-sex adoption being something that the administration is supportive of, that Congress is supportive of. One thing we know about the rising um, effects of the opioid epidemic is floods of children into foster care. That is not a very healthy setting for children. What we would really uh, ideally be doing is uh, increasing um, the pool of people who would be willing to take care of these children in a family setting and um, uh, things are not going in that direction. Immigration. Um, This is something I'm working on right now. I do not know how it became okay for HHS to become involved in this initiative. And I am worried that that doesn't seem to be of a concern. Um, It's one thing for the immigration services to do what they're doing, but HHS seems to have leaped very willingly into becoming part of this. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a poor, uh, 
It's a poor precedent. I, I am surprised that we haven't heard more pushback. Um, a couple of people have spoken up. Why, why didn't they say no? Why didn't they say, this isn't something that, that we do? Um, we're, we're not gonna find housing for all these unaccompanied children. This is, this is not in their best interests. We, we at HHS help people. We, we, don't, we don't make people worse off. And um, I, I think that what we're gonna see is increasingly, um, we're gonna see the health effects of this separation. And we're gonna think about how odd it is that again, the agency that is supposed to be um, promoting health is actually doing things to make people worse off, um, which, which is not a great precedent. And I'll just leave here um, going forward. <laughs> I really think that we are, cannot particularly expect from a public health point of view that um, the Supreme Court is, is on a path um, that would be um, pushing back against not illegitimate um, government action, I mean, these people, um, the EPA decisions are being made by duly appointed administrative officials. Executive branch was elected. Um, Congress is elected. I wouldn't say these things are illegal, but I would say that um, we are in a situation where in five years and 10 years, we are gonna see death rates increase well beyond the 80,000, you know, that, that we just, that are just being calculated right now and I guess we'll just have to come back in five and 10 years and um, deal with the reality that that is unusual for us in the United States. We, we do not usually uh, go in a direction uh, for, for people to become sicker and to die at higher rates. And, and just the, real, the public health reality is what's going on now is putting us in that direction. And on that happy note, is there ice cream? Or <laughs> And that was the week in health law. A big thank you to uh, Professors Huberfeld, Bach, and Bard for joining me. You can find Professor Huberfeld on Twitter at nhuberfeld1, and Jennifer Bard is at profbardlaw. The panel was great fun. We hope that you enjoy it. Uh, recall that the show notes are at tour.com where you can download our slide sets. I'm Nicholas Terry, that's N-I-C-O-L-A-S-T-E-R-R-Y on Twitter. Thank you for joining me and have a legally interesting but healthy